You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. We thank you so much for giving us your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just capture our minds, our attentions, our hearts, um, that you would take this and that it would be way more than a talk, that we would leave here way more than talking about was the band good, was the preaching good, um, but that truly we would encounter you, Spirit. Um, help us to do that. It's in Christ and I pray and ask you sayings. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> In the summer of 2008, I was paired with some men from an Assembly of God church to go and preach the gospel uh, in the Greene County Jail to some inmates there. Uh, just to set the context for you, I just finished my first two semesters in seminary, and so I'd learned Greek, uh, proper hermeneutics, and systematic theology, and so I thought, man, like, these people are going to be so impressed. Like, I'm going to preach the gospel, and revival is going to break out. Um, However, my confidence soon began to wane uh, whenever I was locked in a little like, cafeteria ed- area with 20 felons. Uh, now, I've never had been in jail before up to that point. I grew up kind of a, just a somewhat sheltered, white, middle-class uh, boy. Stephanie, don't you say anything. By the way, uh, Stephanie Kinder is our office manager. She, the other day, said to me, Jared, I don't think you would ever make it in prison. <laughs> it's like, I don't know that, whatever. Yeah, exactly right. Um, Let's do a show of hands. See if anybody think I'd make it in prison, by the way. Just kidding. Just kidding. Put your hands down. Just kidding. put your hands down. I don't want to see. So I've been there with these felons. To make matters worse, uh, there's a, a guy that also one of the guards wheeled in who was in a straight jacket. This guy, whenever I'd walked into the jail, uh, he was uh, yelling at me, hissing at me. Uh, he was making some obscene gestures, but apparently he had a change of heart, and now he wanted to go to church. And so uh, the guard wheeled him into the cafeteria and said, excuse me, I was just about to start preaching. He said, do you care if he comes to the church service? And just whenever I was about to say, absolutely not, uh, this guy named Sam, uh, who was with me, he said, sure, like, bring him on in and take his jacket off of him. And I was like, okay, like, I guess this is how it ends, right? Like, this is how I'm going to die. Like, I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus. And so I'm a little bit shaken, but I get, I begin to uh, eloquently walk through my gospel presentation. Uh, my professors would have been so proud of the way that I'd executed the text and whatnot. And so I share the gospel. Uh, however, 10 minutes later, to my dismay, I went and sat down and I realized that nothing had happened. Um, there were no tears. Um, there was no like salvations, no life change, no revival. But then a guy named Sam got up. And what you need to know about Sam is he's the kind of guy, at least he was the kind of guy, who whenever I was with him, haven't been with him in, in years, but when I would hang out with him, we would be talking, and all of a sudden he's talking to me, but then he's talking to like someone who's not even there, and you realize he's talking to Jesus, as if Jesus is physically right there with us in the room in that moment. Uh, Sam was a guy who had no high school education. Uh, he didn't have a Bible degree. Uh, he's a man who himself had spent a lot of years in prison, but he had met Jesus, and Jesus had radically changed his life. Had been set free from addiction, and now, though he was a common, kind of uneducated man, he was a man who clearly walked with Jesus. And when Sam got up to preach uh, that night at the jail, he, he would, I would say he stumbled through a gospel presentation. Uh, there were no memorable one-liners, nothing that you would walk away and be like, ooh, i got to tweet that, right? Uh, there were no, um, you know, like memorable illustrations, no funny jokes, 
but it was a talk that was marked with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, before we left the jail that evening, these men who were in there, like these hardened criminals, right? They're in there and they're holding hands and they're in a circle. And many of them are crying out to Jesus to save them. We went back later that week and baptized six of the men that were actually in the room. And I remember driving home that night and Jesus just very gently and lovingly said to me, son, that was a great presentation, but there was no power in it. It was great content, but it was delivered in your own power, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I share that is because I think in a series we're talking about preaching the gospel, um, we would be amiss not to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in preaching the gospel. And the reality that if we're going to be a church that doesn't just preach the gospel, but actually sees lives change as a result of preaching the gospel, well, in the words of John Stott, what we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but we need more of the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, this week we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to talk about the prompting of the Holy Spirit. How do we actually figure out where God is working, who he wants us to share the gospel with, and how to join him in that work. But this week we're going to look at a lot of different scriptures, so be ready to turn in your Bible. Um, If you don't have a Bible, by the way, a physical copy, raise your hand, and someone will be sure and get you a physical copy of the Bible. Um, But if you don't have one, we'll still put this on the screen for you. But let's start today in Luke chapter 3. We'll eventually get back to John 15, but turn with me to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 21. Luke 3, verse 21. It's good to hear the pages in the Bible turning. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son... Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now there's a lot in there that we could unpack for our purposes today. Here's just what I want you to think about. Up to this point, Jesus, he's, he's about 30 years old in this story. And up to this point in his life, we have no recorded miracles, no amazing authoritative teachings, no radical conversions. I mean, up to this point in Jesus' life, he has lived a pretty obscure, just normal, ordinary life. But now he is baptized, and in all four Gospels, think about this, when Jesus comes out of the water, the Gospels record that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in a bodily form like a dove. Now, for years I've wondered, like, what's with the bird? Like, is is Luke just trying to be poetic? Well, no. I mean, this is actually something that's used in all four Gospels. And what they're basically trying to communicate is this. Just as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, we read in the opening of the Bible, in the creation account, that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters like a dove at creation. Just as we see that now, that same Spirit, the Spirit of God, is hovering like a dove above Jesus' waters at the baptism. And what then happens is the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. He hears a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then look at the very next story. Go to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus receives the Spirit. And then in Luke 4, verse 1, here's what we read. Jesus, full of the who? Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by who? The Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and of course he was hungry. So Jesus receives the Spirit 
at his baptism. He's then driven by the spirit into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. And then skip down to verse 14. After resisting the temptation that Satan throws at him, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of who? The spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now look down to verse 18. Jesus walks in a synagogue on the Sabbath. He takes the liberty of, uh, of picking his own teaching text, which is from the prophet Isaiah. He begins to read, and look what he reads. This is of all the places in the Old Testament he could have chose. This is what he chooses. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. In other words, I am the Messiah that you have been waiting for. The Spirit has anointed me. And why has the Holy Spirit anointed Jesus? Here we go. He tells you right here. Here's the whole summary of his work on earth. The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. Now, here's what I want you to think about. There is a clear pattern in Luke's writings, is there not? Luke, he starts at Jesus' ministry and he wants to highlight the reality that, that before Jesus did any, anything in his ministry, he's baptized, he receives the Spirit, he's then driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, right? He then comes out full of the power of the Holy Spirit, he then says, I'm the one anointed with the Spirit. And so over and over and over, Luke is relentless and he wants you to see just how much Jesus' life is marked by the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Luke do this? Because what he wants you to see and what he wants me to see is this. The reason Jesus did the stuff that he did is not simply because he is God. But rather, Jesus did the stuff that he did because he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, is Jesus God? Yes, he is. But he did not do what he did simply because he's God. He did it because he walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just kind of stop right there because that's a pretty controversial statement, what I just made. My guess is if you were to go to most people and ask them, how did Jesus do what he did? How did he perform his miracles? How did he preach with such power? Most people are going to say, well, I'll tell you how he did it because he's God. That's what most will say. And that is true. Again, he is God. But here's a problem with that statement. The problem is the Bible. Because when you read the Bible, you're going to find all kinds of people who do all kinds of miracles who aren't God. So for example, Moses, he was a man that God used to work 10 plagues, to part the Red Sea, and then drink filtered water from a rock. But he never claimed to be God. You have Elijah, the prophet Elijah, who healed the sick, fed the multitude, and raised a child from the dead. Elijah raised someone from the dead before Jesus did, and yet he never claimed to be God. Uh, even after Jesus, and we'll, we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but you read about all sorts of people in the early church who preached the gospel with boldness and performed miracles, but none of them ever claimed to be God. And so listen, if you believe that Jesus did the stuff that he did just because he's God, you need to know that you're holding to a view that historically and biblically has been rejected by the church. And why has it been rejected? Because again, according to Luke and the writers in the New Testament, Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Before Jesus' baptism, no recorded miracles, right? He doesn't deliver any powerful teaching or even make one disciple. But upon receiving the Spirit, Jesus teaches with incredible authority, performs lots of miracles, and makes lots of disciples. And that is because Jesus' baptism in the Spirit is the catalyst for Jesus' kingdom ministry. Even Peter remembered it this way in Acts chapter 10. Let me read this to you, Acts chapter 10. Uh, Peter is looking back on Jesus' ministry, and, and look what he says about where Jesus got his power from. Verse 37, 
You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John preached. How God, verse 38, look at this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And now he went around as a result, look at this, doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Simply put, Jesus did what he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're like, okay, Jared, great, good for Jesus. Why does that matter to me? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, the same spirit that enabled Christ to do what he did is now living in you to empower you to do the stuff that he's calling you to do. The works that Jesus has begun to do in the power of the Holy Spirit are the same works he wants to continue to do through his church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Luke actually says uh, in his sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Anybody know what uh, Luke's sequel is to the Gospel of Luke? It's the book of what? Book of Acts, right? And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what he says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began, I don't underline that word, began, all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's odd. Why didn't he say, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and all that he taught? Why did, why did he say that all that he began to do? Because what Luke wants us to understand is Jesus' work is not complete. He's not finished it. Like, 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 yes, he's ushered the kingdom of God here into this present world. The kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. Like there's still more to come, more for us to experience. The world is still, as we all know, very broken, very shattered by sin. And what, what, what Luke wants us to see here in Acts is, again, this. What Jesus began to do in the power of the Spirit through his body, he wants to continue to do through the church, which is his body, again, in the power of the Spirit. And this is why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And when you receive my Holy Spirit, power is going to come on you. The word that's used there for power is the Greek word dunamos, which is where we get our English word dynamite. You're going to receive, he says, a dynamite type power in you. And why are you going to receive this power? Not so you can say, hey, look how awesome I am. But so he says, you will be my witnesses. So that you can listen to this. Live and speak in such a way that people look at you and say something's different about you. People can look at your life and know through how you speak and how you live that Jesus Christ is alive. And this is exactly what happens. In Acts 2, the gospel is preached by Peter. The spirit then falls on those who believe. And as a result, if you go and read the book of Acts on your own, you will see it's a story about a bunch of ordinary people doing a bunch of very extraordinary things. People who are living as witnesses in word and deed to the resurrection power of Jesus. Read Acts and what you're going to find is people are healed. Demons are cast out, miracles are performed, and the the Lord is adding to the church daily those who are being saved as the gospel is being proclaimed boldly. To summarize, do you know what the church is doing in Acts? They're doing what Jesus said he came to do in Luke 4. They're taking good news to the poor. They're setting prisoners free, giving sight to the blind, and they're leading people to a salvation that is found in no other name other than the name of Jesus. And it is our belief, guys, as pastors, that Jesus did not want this work to end with the early church. It's actually why whenever you read the book of Acts, you may have noticed this, it doesn't have an ending. Have you ever noticed that? The book of Acts is a very loud book. It's a fast-paced book. There's a lot of action, and then it just kind of trails off. Why? Because we're still living in the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still here. 
The Holy Spirit still wants to move in you and through you as we see right here in the scriptures. And again, not to make much of you, not to make much of our church, but to make much of Jesus. And this brings us back to the text that Sarah read in John 15. If you look back at that, John 15, verse 26, Jesus says again, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And look at this, verse 27, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you also must testify. When you receive the Spirit, Jesus says, you must open up your mouth and tell people about me. You must proclaim the gospel. And not only do you need to testify in your words, you also need to testify in your works. I mean, just a couple minutes before this, in John 14, 12, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done, and greater works than these you will do, because I'm going to my Father, and when I do that, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I love that Jesus here uses the word whoever. I love that he doesn't say, to you um, super spiritual apostles, to the pastors, to the monks. No, he says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've done and greater works than these you will do because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And we can debate on what Jesus means by greater works. Does he mean greater in quality, greater in quantity? I don't know. We could debate on it. But what I think one thing we could all agree on is whatever Jesus means by greater, he doesn't mean lesser. Like, can we agree on that? Like, greater here actually means greater. Like, Jesus, when he says, greater works than these you will do and you believe in me, he doesn't mean actually, time out, let me clarify, your life it will actually not look any different than the person next to you who doesn't have the Spirit of God. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean, like, time out, let me just be real clear about greater works. What I mean is you'll just be a nice person, um, and, and one day, like, hopefully you'll just, like, die in your sleep and go to heaven, right? Like, when you get old. Like, no, Jesus wants more for you. Do you want more of him? Like, I know I do. Like, Jesus wants more for you. He wants by how we live and how we speak, by our words and our works, to live as his witnesses to the world, to walk in such a way in the power of the Holy Spirit that people can look at our lives and get a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And again, what is the kingdom of God like? Again, Luke chapter 4, Jesus told us, it's good news for the poor, freedom for the oppressed, sight for the blind, healing for the sick, and salvation for the lost. With all of that in mind, I think this begs a question. If this is all true, and it is, if it's true that we've received the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that empowered Christ to do all that he did, if we've received him, why do our lives look so much different than Jesus? Like if it's true, we have the same spirit that the early church has, why why do our churches look so different than the early church? In 1 John 2, verse 20, John says... You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you. And you, if you've trusted in Jesus, have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus looked for? The Spirit has anointed me. John says, you now have that same anointing. What's going on, guys? Why do our lives look so much different than the life of Jesus and those in the early church? Well, I think there could be a lot of reasons, but I just want to share very quickly with you seven reasons. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a list that I've taken and adapted from another pastor and author, uh, Tyler Staten. And here's what I think are, are seven, here are seven reasons 
why I think that we don't experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to, to, to listen to these and see if you find yourself anywhere in here. Number one, one of the reasons we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit more in our lives is we have become students and not practitioners. The early church, you want to know who was in the early church? A bunch of illiterate peasants who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have theology degrees. They did not uh, know their Enneagram number or their Myers-Briggs personality type. They didn't have a killer band like we have. They didn't have a clear strategy for church growth. They didn't even own a copy of the New Testament. But they were desperate for the empowering presence of God. And in their desperation, they took risk. And in the risk, they became practitioners. And what they did, we study. The early church did not primarily consist in talk but in power, but the modern church primarily exists in talk and no power. And this is a problem because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. That's a direct quote. Secondly, I think one of the reasons that we miss out on the power of the Holy Spirit is we lack faith. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his, in his hometown, and very few people believed he's the Messiah. By the way, why did people in Jesus' hometown have a hard time believing he's the Messiah? Because for the first 30 years of his life, he lived a very ordinary, normal life. And so like, that can't be the Messiah. I know that dude. I've seen him trip and fall, and right, like he's made, yeah, yeah. that can't be the Messiah. So Jesus is in his hometown, Mark chapter 6. And it says that he could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. Go and read that story on your own later. We don't like to think about this, but oftentimes the amount of miracles that we see God do in and through us is tied directly to the amount of faith either we do or we do not have. And so if you don't actually have any expectation that God's going to move in a mighty way in you and through you, he's probably not. Number three, I think one of the reasons we don't experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit more is there are some of us in here who have been disqualified by our shame. More than any other word that Jesus spoke, possibly more than any other word that Jesus spoke that we just don't believe is that word whoever. That whoever believes in me will do the works that I've done and even greater works than these you will do. Some of you maybe even here, you, you even heard me read that and you're like, that sounds great, Jesus, but you don't know me. You don't know what I did this past week. You don't know my personality type. You don't know my wounds. You don't know my trauma. You don't know about my emotional health. You don't know about what all is going on in the season of life that I'm in. And Jesus says to me, I get that. But whoever believes in me, whoever, will do the works that I've done and greater works than these you will do. But for many of us, and let's be honest, we just don't believe that. We count ourselves out. I'm way too broken or I'm way too dumb or I'm way too weak or I'm way too, I mean, you just feel in the blank. And if that is where you are, let me encourage you on your own, do an honest reading of the scripture. You know what you're going to find? The men and women that Jesus uses in profound ways, spoiler alert, none of them are impressive. None of them. As the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things to shame the strong. Please hear me. God is not afraid of empowering the disqualified. He's afraid of putting authority in the hands of those who actually think they are qualified. As it says in James, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and his grace is more than sufficient. And so let me just say this, and I'll move on. If you're here and you're impressed with yourself, like if you are like, man, Let's be honest, God, you're really glad I'm on your team, huh? You could really use me. 
You know, you really need me. Like, Holy Spirit, I bet you're so glad to be able to make your home in a person like me. Like, I, I bet you're glad I'm not like that guy or that girl or whatever. Like, if that's where you are, I would encourage you to pray that God will break you, that he will humble you. Because God can use a lot of people, but I'll tell you this, he cannot use a man, he cannot use a woman who walks with a swagger. He just won't do it. But some of us, right, we've, we've, just, we've disqualified ourselves because of the toxic shame that we carry. A fourth reason that I think we don't experience the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is unrepentant sin. If you want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to adopt a holy life. You have to. You know where the reason the Spirit was so at home in Jesus' body? You, you know what it's like when you're at your own home, by the way, as opposed to at a stranger's house? If you're at home, like, you kick your feet up. You don't really care that much how you dress. Your hair is all wonky and messed up. You go like to the cabinet anytime you want. You get seconds. You don't care if you're eating clean or not eating clean. Like You just feel at home. You feel the peace and the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. The Holy Spirit felt that way in Jesus' body. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because Jesus was a man who was marked by holy life. Paul is clear in Ephesians, our sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And therefore, every time we are faced with temptation, even if no one is watching, guys, like if it's at the gym and you're wanting to like undress that person in your mind or whatever else, or just you in the screen, or you're at work, and you have a chance to gossip, or you have a chance to be generous, not be generous, even if no one else is watching, every time we face temptation, it's an opportunity to either grieve the Holy Spirit through our sin or to be obedient and grow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I just want to, before I move on, I want to ask you this question. Are there any private sins that you have been committing that the Spirit is convicting you of? I know I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals right now. I don't think about your neighbor. Like, is there any private sin in your life right now that you've not repented of the Spirit wants to convict you of? Because my guess is in a room this size, like, there are probably some people who are walking around in unrepentant sin. And I don't know what it is. Your spouse don't know what it is. The person next to you don't know what it is. But God knows what it is. The Holy Spirit knows what it is. Maybe for some of you, it's the sins of, of, of commission. You're, you're doing things that you know Jesus has said, stop doing. For others of you, it's sins of omission. There's things that you know Jesus is calling you to do. And for whatever reason, it's apathy or I don't know, you're just not doing it. And I'm not bringing this up, guys. Like, listen, I'm not trying to convict you. That's not my job. And I can't do that anyway. Like, I just am trying to create some space this morning for the Spirit to just highlight maybe something in your life, whether it's the sin of commission or omission, that he brings to the surface. And listen, if he highlights something, praise God. Because anytime the Holy Spirit highlights a sin in our life, you know why he does it? It's not to shame you and belittle you and make you feel like crap. Like, he's trying to call you into more, more joy, more peace, more love, more life more power. Number five, a reason that I think that some of us don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit like we could is because we have a low stamina for disappointment. John Wimber led a modern day revival in California in the 1980s and he says this is how it started. We prayed for people to be healed and then we watched them die. We probably did that at least a thousand times but then we got one. Someone was miraculously healed and we told that story through a thousand more failed prayers. And then finally something broke and a wave of healing rode in one after another, after another, after another. If you choose to try to live as a witness to Jesus, to testify about the resurrection power of Jesus, you will face disappointment. There are times 
or take it from me, and the pastors could vouch for this. I know some of you will, uh, you can vouch for this as well. There are times where you're going to pray for healing and nothing's going to happen. There are times where you're going to step out in faith and you're like, I'm going to preach the gospel and you're going to be rejected. When you choose to follow Jesus, there are times where things will not go the way you hope that they would. You know, we all love the story where Peter gets thrown into jail and then the church gathers and prays he'll be released and then the jail cell swings open, Peter walks out and into their prayer meeting is like, hey, you like me now? You know, it's like, we love that story. But we forget about the story that happened just the night before where James was thrown into jail for preaching the gospel and despite the fact he would have had people praying for him, he remained in jail and the next morning he was executed. Why did that happen? Why didn't he have Peter's story? I have no idea. But here's what I do know. If you choose to follow Jesus on mission, you're going to need a lot of resilience. And you're going to need perseverance. And you're going to need a stamina for disappointment. And if you will stay the course, I promise you, it'll be worth every single step that you take. Number six, one of the reasons we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit is self-centeredness. When you read the book of Acts, you're going to find that supernatural power is oftentimes connected to sacrificial love. Nobody ever just walks around and is like, let me just show you this. Like something like crazy, right? It's usually, almost always, I would say, supernatural power connected to to sacrificial love. One example of this is Acts chapter 4, verse 31 to 32. It says, "All, all who were filled with the Holy Spirit spoke the word of God boldly. Most of us are scared to death to preach the gospel. What do we need? It's not a pep talk from me. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. As a result, they're supernaturally going forward. It's like just busting through their fears and just boldly proclaiming the gospel. People are coming to Christ. Right, that supernatural power. But very next line, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Supernatural power, sacrificial love. Sacrificial love, supernatural power. So important we get that because, listen, if you want to walk in the power of Jesus, you have to continually receive and express the sacrificial love of Jesus. Lastly, I think one of the reasons we don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit is because of comfortable apathy. Comfortable apathy. I know we have some former soldiers in here, and you'll know this. Soldiers who are living in barracks during peacetime behave very differently than soldiers who are at war. If you're just killing time in the barracks, you have plenty of time to sit back and complain about the stiffness of your cot and how food was better back home. But if you're in combat, you don't have time to consider the plushness of your cot. I mean, you're in the middle of war. And I think one of the biggest tricks the enemy has convinced us of, in the words of John Piper, he's convinced us that we are in peacetime and in reality we are in wartime. We are in the middle, the Bible says, we're in the middle of this invisible war that is waging right now, this very moment between two kingdoms, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And if you think about it, who has more to gain by convincing you we're not in a war right now? The enemy. The father of lies. The the, the devil. Because the devil would love nothing more for you right now than to think this is all that there is. That the point of your existence is just basically to live like everybody else around you, to pursue your comfort, to pursue the American dream, to be as comfortable and safe as possible, and hopefully die in your sleep at the age of 85 with a lot of money in your bank account. Like if he can convince you that that's the main reason you're here, then he's got you. A.W. Tozer says this, Satan has opposed the doctrine of the spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He has confused it, 
opposed it and surrounded it with false notions and fears. The church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. To end, let me just ask you this question. What's getting in the way for you? Like, what's keeping you from experiencing the power of the Spirit for the sake of mission? Like, do you see yourself anywhere in those seven reasons? Last year, I got this watch, Garmin watch. Um, and one of the things it does is it tracks what's called your body battery. And my wife has one of these watches as well. It's just like, like the battery in your phone, but it's, it's measured on your body. And uh, my wife would wake up almost every morning, and hers would be like at 100 almost every morning, in the 80s, 90s. And I was waking up, mine was using the 30s or 40s. Like even after a, a sleep, like, you know, seven, eight hour sleep. And I couldn't figure it out. So I called Garmin. And I was like, what's going on? Like I just feel tired and weak and my body battery is low all the time. Like why am I not getting a good charge? And they said, well, there's a good chance you've got sleep apnea. I was like, well, sleep apnea. I was like, I only got sleep apnea. And so like, but I was like, you know what? I'll check it out. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'm open to that. I'm open that could be the issue of like why I'm not getting a full charge, walking in the power I could be walking in. And so I went, I did an overnight sleep test at St. Bernard's and come to find out, sure enough, had sleep apnea. I was stopping, I, would, I wouldn't, I guess I'd stop breathing about 40 to 50 times an hour, something like that. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? And they said, well, you can get this machine that you can wear. And if you'll plug it up to your face, you'll get the oxygen you need. And then you'll get the charge you need and you'll walk in a lot more strength, a lot more power than what you've been walking in. And I remember thinking, like, I don't want to wear that thing. Like, that looks stupid. You guys ever seen one of those? No offense to those of you have it. I'm like, that's not romantic. <laughs> right? It's like, what's up, babe? Huh? <laughs> Darth Vader. <laughs> it's like, I'm not doing that. Like, like man, that, that's going to that's, that's gonna be awkward. They're expensive. You got to clean them. That's lame. None of my friends are doing it. Right? And man, I just honestly had to come to a place and our doctor just said to me, look, like you don't, you know, no one's making you do this, but if you want a full charge, you're going to have to be willing to make the sacrifice. This morning, I'll show my wife this because I wasn't even planning on sharing this. This morning I woke up, body battery was at hundred percent, baby. And so, cause I had my mask on last night and I started thinking about that and I just thought, man, isn't that so true of the church right now? Most of us are walking around spiritually speaking at about 30, 40%. When there's just a call to plug up and receive all the power you need. A power beyond what you've ever even been able to live with. But you have to be willing to be honest about what's really going on that's keeping you from experiencing that. And then you have to do the work of actually being willing to make the sacrifice and get uncomfortable and do whatever it takes in order to plug up and experience that power. And so the practice this week is pretty simple. Just figure out where you are in one of those seven. I'm guessing for all of us, there's something the Spirit has highlighted. If not, process that with your missional community. Process that with your DNA. Process that with a friend. Figure that out, man. Then just confess that to God and do whatever it takes to begin to experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of mission. Secondly, what I want to encourage you to do, just kind of even in light of that, is this week, remember, this is a practicing series, so the things we're practicing so that we can begin to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Here's what I want to encourage you to do in light of this being Lent, the season of Lent, which is a season about self-denial. I want to encourage you to pick one to two meals each week now until Easter 
uh, where you fast. Just one or two meals each week where you fast. And here's why, I, here's, where does this all come from? Well, think about it like this. In the story in Luke chapter 4, before the Spirit clothes Jesus in power, he sends him on a fast. You ever noticed that before? Before the Spirit clothes Jesus with power, he sends him on a fast. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Because when you look at the life of Jesus and Christians down throughout church history, fasting is one of the greatest ways that we pray with our entire being, including our body. Fasting is a way that we intentionally empty ourselves for the purpose of being filled more with God's presence. And so I just want to encourage you guys. Again, there's a sacrifice in this. Make space for the presence of God in your life. Don't aim at God's power. Aim at God's presence. Hear that because you can walk out of a message like this and be like, I want the power. Like, I'm going to go for the power, baby. Like, if you aim at God's power, you won't get it. Aim at God's presence and you will get his power. Abide in the vine, Jesus says. If you will not abide in me, you will not bear any fruit. But if you'll abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Fruit that is so incredible that people will look and give glory to God as a result of your life. To end, I just want to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 over you. How about the band to go ahead and come back up? Hopefully that's not too distracting for y'all. If you've got ADD or ADHD or whatever else I might have, it's usually distracting. You see someone move and it's just like, you can lose it. So, but... I just want to read this over you. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And Tim, you can use my stand if you want to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 through verse 8. I was reading this this morning. I thought, man, this is what I so wanted to be said about our church. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, listen to this, not simply with words, but also with power. So you can preach the gospel in words, and we we all are calling you to do that in the series, and then you can preach the gospel with words and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, listen to this, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering. And with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message, right? The gospel rang out from you, not only in Macedonia, not only in your city, but in Achaia. And your faith in God has become known everywhere. Man, that's my desire for our church. Is that we, more than we're known as like, I don't know, or even known for. But like more than we're known as like, I don't know, a big church or a cool church or I don't know what we would be known as. But more than we're known as anything, I would hope that we are known for a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. A church that is marked by the presence of God. And as a result, the gospel message is going forward in a powerful way. And we are seeing more and more people pass from death to life, not just here in Paragould, but throughout the entire world. With that, we're going to enter into a time of communion and Communion is a time where we remember that before Jesus ever sent us on mission, that he was sent on mission for us. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, we invite you to this table. We have um, 
servers who would love to serve you. You can come and they'll tell for a piece of bread for you. The bread, Jesus said, represents his perfect life for us. Jesus was perfectly submitted to the Holy Spirit, so he never once sinned. We've all sinned. Not, we've all struggled to be perfectly submitted to the Holy Spirit, not Jesus. And so he lived a perfect life on our behalf. We need to remember that. And then he went to a cross, and even though he was perfect, he died in our place as imperfect people. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And he says the juice is representation of that blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if you're a Christian, come and, and take this as a way of embodying the gospel. If you don't feel comfortable receiving this up here, we have uh, some disposable cups in the back and a little basket. You can grab those, and you can take them as well. If you're not a Christian, we would encourage you not to come up here. There's very few doors that will close you in our church. This is one of them, mainly because there's just no reason for you to take this. Um, by taking communion, God doesn't love you more. He doesn't answer some unanswered prayer or anything like that. Like for us, this is just a sign of hope. It's a tangible way for us to embody what we said we've already believed with our minds, our hearts, and our souls. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, I encourage you to receive him today. Trust him today as your Lord and Savior. And if you want more questions about that, what it looks like, I'll be up here. We'd love to talk to you. No, Adam would love to connect with you. Uh, anybody in this room who's a member of the church would love to help you process what it looks like. With that, let's stand together. I'll pray. And then when you're ready, you can take communion, return to your seat, and we'll, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And again, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we, we acknowledge that for many of us, whether it's because of abuses we've seen by some crazy person on TV or because of our upbringing, we know a lot about what to do with the Father and the Son, but we oftentimes just don't know what to do with you. We don't think about you. We treat you as if you're actually not a member of the Trinity, as if you're not God. And so I just personally confess that. Holy Spirit, we do pray that, that you would fill us afresh, that you would open our eyes, that you would convict us of sin and help us to see that, that, that your conviction, it's always going to feel like love and lead into life and lead into power and lead into to more. Jesus, you tell us that if we are thirsty to come and we can drink from your well and that you will satisfy us with your spirit. There are many people here, God, that we have been looking for living water and broken cisterns and we're thirsty and we're dry and we're hurting and we're lonely and we're just in need of you, Jesus. So I pray that right now through this time that you would minister to each person uniquely that we would leave here differently, that we came in experiencing more of your presence and, and, and Father, boldly proclaiming the gospel that we can now have a relationship with you despite our sins because of what you've accomplished. And it's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen.